Well, from the time that God created people in his image to have dominion over all the rest of his creation, he blessed them and saw now that all he created was very good, where before this he had called it good. And then he communicated with Adam and graciously, in love, he made him a helper corresponding to him. And Adam was delighted and they became one flesh. Now this love of Yahweh for his people through all generations is brought out in the last book of the Torah, namely Deuteronomy. Now, the Torah is God's instruction to people that was given through Moses, and it was given as to how to live in his covenant love, in a covenant relationship, in order that we may experience the maximum blessings of his love. I refuse to call it law because law sounds like something enforced. And that's not what it means. It's from the root of teaching. It's to instruct us, not for our harm or as punishment, but for good so that we may experience his love, okay? Now, this covenant love, we're told in Deuteronomy, first of all, goes all the way back to Abraham. And this very love moved him to bring his chosen people out of bondage in Egypt and to give them a land where they would be free to worship him. And then the book closes with a psalm of praise, a praise song. And the beginning of this says it was the love of Yahweh that led him to give them his Torah of instructions. So we've got love from beginning to end. And now we come forward to what we heard in Matthew's gospel as Jesus gives his inaugural address as the king of the kingdom of God. At this time, he gave it to his disciples and many of the multitude. And in the preamble to this address, it's filled, it's filled with declarations of blessedness to those who are empty and persecuted for his sake. And he's telling them they will be rewarded for rejoicing in the midst of these pressing circumstances. And he says the reason for this is that he has come to fulfill the Torah in himself right down to the very smallest detail. In fact, he fulfills all of Scripture. And as an example of that, what he's really expanding on here is what is in what we call the Old Testament, and we even heard an excerpt, the beginning of the very first psalm, which says those who delight in and meditate on his word in faith 
will become fruitful trees. So, uh, going all the way now to the last chapter of Scripture and what is yet to come, speaking of fruitful trees, John was given a vision of all kinds of trees bearing fruit alongside the eternal river, which flows from God's throne. So with all of this as background, let us now look closely at our passages to see how these truths about God's love in Jesus are are expressed and what they are and understand them better, and there's so much more. So in our Matthew passage, there's two parts. The first part is much longer, and that also breaks into two parts, but we can summarize it this way. Jesus says God's empty and persecuted children are blessed and they will be filled and rewarded, and that his disciples must therefore shine in good works to God's glory. Okay, the beginning part of that is, is, is what is called the Beatitudes. Jesus declares that people who are empty and persecuted peacemakers are blessed, and they will be filled and rewarded. So the prelude to this, we'll take it line by line. Having seen the multitudes, he went up into the mountain and having sat down, his disciples came to him and having opened his mouth, he began teaching them. Let's just look at a few parts of that. He went up. What happened was he went up into the mountain region immediately to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And from the top of one of these mountains, the multitudes followed him up that mountain. The multitudes who had seen the healings and his miraculous blessings just before this, and disciples, they all followed them. And he was teaching. You see, in those days... You know, unlike schools we have now where the teacher is standing up like this and everybody else is sitting down, the teacher sat down and then everybody stood and listened. Now, his teaching likely, I got this from Carson's commentary, lasted a few days, not just a few hours. So we get a very brief summary in the gospel. Now we get to the heart of it. First of all, he proclaims blessedness on the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, and those greatly desiring righteousness. Now, let's just blessing, okay? What is a blessing? It is a gracious gift that God bestows on people in spite of their weaknesses, So if we are weak, we should be happy, not frustrated about it. And the initial blessings here, these first four, elaborate on the words of the anointed one giving in Isaiah. And before I came out here, I reread what I've given you in the outlines from Isaiah. They are so amazingly parallel, and that shouldn't surprise us. So let's look 
at the first four blessings. The first one is to those who are poor in spirit. And I didn't even take the time to write out the references. But over and over again, God expresses a special concern for the poor and needy. Just read the Psalms every morning. You'll see it. Also, for those who are lowly and have a contrite spirit. Well, actually, I gave you a few little references here. Now, these things which we would think might be negative, they can be a blessing if and only if they produce humility towards God. And if we come to God humbly in our poverty of spirit, we will enter in to the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. What a blessing. Secondly, we're talking about those who are mourning. You see, these are people who not only acknowledge that they're sinners, but they mourn over the sins they have committed in their weakness of spirit. And again, there's a couple of examples here. The priest who wrote Psalm 119 said, my tears are continually flowing because your Torah is disobeyed. And he meant by himself and by others as well. And Paul echoes this in his letter to the Romans when Paul says that I'm weeping over my own sins and the sins of the people. And Jesus says, these who mourn over their sins and their poverty of spirit, they will be comforted. Okay, next is the meek. Who are the meek? These are people who have a gentle spirit, even when they are being corrected. Now, how many times do we know people, and how many times have we ourselves gotten defensive when we're corrected and say, how dare you correct me? That's not meek, okay? God is looking for people who will accept this, okay? And Jesus says that they shall inherit the earth, and he's not talking about this earth so much as the earth that is to come. And there's a messianic psalm, Psalm 37, which speaks about this. So he's talking mostly about the new heavens and the new earth. And fourthly, those who are desiring righteousness. These are people who desire to wholly do God's will from their heart. And not only that, they grieve over all social injustice. Remember, God called out a lot of the kings because they didn't take care of the poor and needy in their land. And Peter addresses this in his second letter, and he says, righteous people are the people who are longing for the new heaven and earth of righteousness when Jesus finally reigns, and these people will be filled. Jesus proclaims it right here. There's another category of blessedness. He proclaims blessings also on the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. Now, mercy builds on what came before. Mercy is not only forgiveness of a guilty party, 
but it's also compassion on poor and needy people. We, we prayed in our prayer of confession that we haven't really loved our neighbor as we should. We should show mercy to them. And mercy is related to meekness. And why do we forgive others and show mercy? Because we're sinners too. We are sinners too. Now, this mercy can only be obtained from the merciful God. So that's the promise here. Now, when it talks about the pure in heart, this is an inner moral purity from a heart that is singularly devoted to God. Now you know why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything that's in you. In us, that's the only way we can be pure. Okay, we're singly devoted to God and his kingdom and understand this is a gift of grace by and through faith. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. It's a gift of grace by faith. And then Jesus talks about the peacemakers. Well, understand this. Jesus is the prince of peace, okay? Jesus is the supreme peacemaker. And his disciples who know this, when we know the peace of God and with God, when we have this peace in our heart, we have a great desire that all may have the peace that we have. And that's why we seek to become peacemakers. We can't actually bring someone to God, but we can declare the truth. We can live the truth. And Jesus will talk about this later as he elaborates on these opening blessings. We're not responsible for how people respond, but we are to be peacemakers. And then James says something. It's very good, and I put it on the back of your bulletins if, if you want to refer it. But peacemakers receive wisdom from heaven, and therefore they produce righteousness, which brings us back to righteousness. And the bottom line is this. Understand this. The people of the world hate people who are receiving the grace to be made righteous, righteous according to God's Torah and all of the above qualities. So as a result, righteous people will be persecuted. But Jesus says, that's okay, because yours also is the kingdom of heaven. So now he's come first circle, poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven, persecuted, righteous, kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, you are blessed when they reproach, revile, and say evil against you falsely for my sake, for Jesus's sake. He now rephrases this last blessing and he also puts it in the second person, okay? He's talking about people in general. Blessed are they who this, 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 this. And now he says, blessed are you all when you're persecuted for my sake. 
Blessed are you. And then he says, and you all must be rejoicing and exceedingly glad because your reward is great in heaven because in this way they persecuted the prophets before you. So rejoice in the reward, okay? I don't think many of us have experienced real persecution, but it could come. And understand this, the reward for persecution in this life, and if any of us have read things from the Voice of the Martyrs or other books about the persecuted church today, it may not be a reward in this life, but it will come. And then just speaking of the persecuted prophets, you may remember this very vivid story of what happened in Jeremiah's life towards the end of the nation of Judah when one of the last and most evil kings, Zedekiah, threw him in a cistern and left him there to die. Now, the second part of this first half, Jesus declares his disciples our light, the light of the world, and then he commands them on this basis to shine it through publicly performed good works to the glory of God the Father. Line by line, he says, you all are being the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its distinct character and purpose, it's fit to be cast out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus usually begins with the negative before being positive. And understand this, anything or anyone that loses the quality for which it was created becomes a failure. The least, the least in the kingdom of heaven. But then he says, you are my disciples. You are the light of the world, a city that is on uh, a hill. You can't hide it. It's up there on the hill. Everybody sees it. Neither are men lighting a candle, putting it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all who are in that house where the light is. Now, this very phrase, the light of the world, Jesus used it and applied it to himself using the divine name, I am. He is the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. And when we are in him, his light shines through us. Okay, now... They are lit candles, Jesus' disciples, that are always lifted up and displayed so that everyone can receive the light of God. And then he goes on to say, in the same way, you all must shine your light. Now comes the command after the declaration, before all men so they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the bottom line of this first half of the passage we heard, Jesus' disciples must display the light they have received by grace from him for everyone to see it. 
and as people see the good works that they do in Jesus' light, they will glorify Father God. Okay, now we will look at the second half of this passage that Jesus came to fill the Torah, and whoever does and teaches it is great in the kingdom. And then we'll look at what the psalmist said about delighted meditation on Torah, giving fruit and blessed success. First, let's wrap up Jesus' words. He says the reason he came was and is, still is, to fulfill the Torah. And whoever does and teaches all of it, every last bit of it, is great in the kingdom of heaven. So line by line, and now I have to turn the page here. Um, He says, you should not think I've come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. So those were two of the three sections of scripture. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Well, why would he say I've not come to destroy? Well, you see, he had to continually correct their faulty interpretations and applications of God's Torah in the prophets. And the reason he had to correct them was to point out the real truth that is in there, the truth that God wants his people to know and that they were ignorant of. Now, as the son of man, being fully human as well as God, Jesus would show people how to correctly live according to scripture. And when people live according to God's Torah of instruction in living, when they live that way in Jesus, they will be blessed. Blessings in filling, fulfilling God's Torah in Jesus, the only way to do it. Then he says, because I'm truth, I'm saying to you all, until heaven and earth pass away, in no way whatsoever. And here Jesus uses the strongest language possible. Even the smallest portion of the Torah may pass away until all might be fulfilled. Now I'm going to throw a big word at you, eschaton, and it just means the last thing. You see, Jesus says every bit of the Torah will stay and be pertinent until the very last day of the current heavens and earth. And then at that time, Torah will be fully fulfilled in the kingdom. And so until then, we must understand that everything that's in what we call the Old Testament, especially the first five books and Deuteronomy, fully expresses God's will for us. We need to hear it. We need to know it. We need to do it. Okay, all of God's word. And Jesus fulfilled the Torah, and all those who are in him will be enabled to do likewise. And this results in blessings now, and it will be culminated after the very last day of this creation. There are blessings in fulfilling Torah in Jesus. 
And now again, Jesus goes negative and positive. He says, whoever may break one of the least of these commandments and may teach men to do thus shall be called the very least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is clearly stating people must not break any of the Torah. And they must not lead others to do so under the penalty of being made least in God's eyes. Now the positive, but whoever may do that is practice and also teach, uh, whoever may do and teach the same every last little bit of what God has put in his word, that one shall be called great in the kingdom of God. So again, it's not just what any of us says. You know, I can get up here and say all kinds of wonderful things from God's word, and it doesn't mean a darn thing unless I'm living it. Do and teach. Greatness comes to those who by grace, through faith, rightly model and teach the Torah just as Jesus did. And then he closes our scripture portion this morning saying, because I am saying to you all, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, there is no way whatsoever. Again, he uses the most powerful human language available to him. No way you may enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're back to the kingdom again. And understand, what he laid down here is an impossible standard for any human being to keep and to do. It's just absolutely impossible for us. It is only possible by grace through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus fulfilled all the Torah, all who are in him, by grace, through faith, they share in his righteousness, and that qualifies us, and that blesses us. Blessings in fulfilling the Torah in Jesus. And now let's go back and look at the psalm, because I believe Jesus had this psalm, this very first psalm, which every Jew knew from early childhood in his heart as he said it. You see, the author, Holy Spirit, of the first psalm says, the one who delights in Yahweh's Torah and meditates on it day and night is blessed, fruitful, and successful. Verse by verse, blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked, has not stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of scorners. So this first psalm starts with a blessing. Just as Jesus began his first teaching with blessings, eight of them in fact, and there are three evils to be avoided. Those who are blessed of God shun these wicked advice, continuing in the way of sin and sitting with people who scornfully boast against God in his way, saying, my will be done. 
But rather, here's the positive again. He delights in Yahweh's Torah and meditates on his Torah day and night. The word for delight means pure pleasure. Pure pleasure. Let us ask ourselves, do we find our time in God's word as we hear God in his word to be delightfully pleasant? Or is it only a chore or a thing on our to-do list? It should never be the latter. It should always be a distinct, delightful pleasure. And then we should meditate on it. And guess what? You can't meditate on what you haven't memorized. So do we memorize scripture? How much have we memorized, if any at all? You know, I I talk to Noel quite a bit, and I'm always amazed. We memorize 40 scriptures together And I'm embarrassed to say she remembers hers much better than I do. But that's what God desires. And what happens if we do these things? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which gives fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all which he will do will be successful. So delighting in and meditating on God's Torah instruction, causes one to be fruitful, as fruitful as a perfectly situated tree by flowing streams of water that produce fruit all the time. That's God's desire for us, good fruit. Delighting in Torah is not only its own reward, it also produces good fruit. And lastly, I chose the word success. It's a very broad word with many meanings, and most translations use prosper, a synonym. But that word's fallen into a bit of disfavor lately because of the heresy of the prosperity gospel. So what does this word actually mean? It means success, In the eyes of the creator, success in God's eyes, not by our standards. And this is success even on those who are humble and persecuted. And again, we've come full circle. So let me just wrap up the truths we've heard this morning. Jesus begins by declaring blessedness to those who are humble and persecuted for his sake. And then he calls his disciples the light of the world and commands them to shine in publicly performed good works to the glory of the Father. Don't keep it to yourself. Faith is not a private thing, no matter what the world may say. And then he says his reason for coming to earth, and we talked about it in the creed and what we believe, is to fulfill all of the Torah. And whoever does and teaches God's instruction is great in the kingdom. And what he's really doing is elaborating on the first psalm, which says the one delighting in Yahweh's instruction and continually meditating on it is fruitful 
blessed and successful. You see, there's blessings, blessings in fulfilling God's Torah in Jesus Christ. 